Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome in the latest episode of the Five on the Floor podcast on the Five Reasons Sports Network. We kind of call it the Five Off the Floor during the shutdown, but continuing to try to give you three or four episodes a week. We appreciate all of our sponsors. Also, check out fivereasonsports.com. Spell it out, F-I-V-E, reasonsports.com. Why? Because we've got great NFL draft content there. Three Yards Per Carry, our Dolphins podcast, our Dolphins property. They also call it the Extra Yard release their final mock draft today. So check that out. See who they have. The Dolphins picking number five. I think you'll be pleased. Also, check out my column, which was titled today, Hey Dolphins, Be the Heat. So for Heat fans, I think you'll take some some glee in that because basically I'm suggesting the Dolphins finally do what they should have done years ago, which is follow the Riley way. So check out that column. And of course, our big draft preview, 7,500 words from our Simon Clancy and Alfredo Arteaga with the top five of every position and a YouTube video attached for every single one of those prospects. So you want to find out what a player looks like, what he plays like, check out our stuff, unlike the other guys, our stuff is free. Also, check out our great sponsor. I'm going to snack on it after I finish my pizza here. I ordered from Christopher's Bakery last week. It was a great decision. You can find them on Twitter at Nilla Wafer Cakes or go to the website, which is Christopher'sBakery.com backslash five reasons. Why five reasons? And again, that's spelled out F-I-V-E because if you type in the coupon code five reasons, again, spelled out, you get 15% off. So that's what I did. And I ordered their signature product, which is a vanilla wafer cake, but I got the chocolate chips on it because my daughter likes it. And it was created 30 years ago. Um, This is again, a family business, a South Florida business. The bakery, Christopher's Bakery, is named after the brother of our friend Courtney Harris, who died of a seizure at just 11 years old. And so they've partnered with Miami Nicholas Children's Hospital and set up a fund where they donate a portion of all sales to epilepsy neuroscience research, since that's where Christopher spent much of his young life. So it's a great cause. And I can tell you, it's a terrific cake. I don't know if it's still going to be here by the time my daughter gets here later this week. They ship all over the country. Usually they can hand deliver in South Florida. Obviously can't do that right now, but I was able to get it very quickly here uh, through the mail 3PS. So check that out again, Christopher'sBakery.com backslash five reasons. And now today's episode. Welcome to five on the floor, a Miami heat and NBA podcast from Ethan Skolnick with Alvon Sydney, AKA Alf954. Brought to you by the Five Reasons Sports Network. All right, Ethan Skolnick back. We've got the whole crew today, Alphonse Sidney and Alex Toledo. Going to have an episode with myself and a 45-minute conversation with Shane Battier. That's going to post likely tomorrow as part of our Heat Story series. He tells the entire story, guys of the speech, the speech that set off, as he said, created the 27-game winning streak as it came after the first win in Toronto when they were all stuck up there watching the Super Bowl. Shane told me basically how drunk he was, 
what LeBron and Wade looked at him like on the bus when he started this speech and essentially everything, most of the things that he said. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. He also had a great line today where I asked him about the transition in the 2012 playoffs when Bosch was out. And he said, we had Dexter Pittman at the five and me at the four, which is likely the worst front court of a team that eventually won a championship, <laughs> which is probably true. Actually, I, I didn't do the research on it, but that sounds about right. So really good stuff. On There's got to be. Can you think of a worse one? I mean, it's no offense to Shane, and I don't, I don't want to take shots at Dexter. I really liked Dexter personally, but that thing lasted about four minutes of that game. And that was it. And Spo pretty much threw up his hands. And that was the end of it. Um, and remember what happened in the next series. Bosch came back. So Battier went back in the starting lineup at the four. And the rest is kind of history. Uh, you know, Shane kind of by accident became a revolutionary as a small ball four. But they weren't planning that. But, yeah, it was pretty bad. I, I really liked Dexter, but he just was not an NBA player. And then somebody, somebody thought it was a good idea to put Kendrick Perkins on Shane Battier. We discussed that as well. We also we we also discussed. That's him. my favorite thing when you go back and really look at it. Like you oh, have yeah. three future MVPs, but you ruined it by putting Kendrick Perkins on Shane Battier and being we, really stubborn about it. We talked about that. We also talked about Shane begging Spo to let him play Game Seven of the Indiana series that year, and uh, and not getting in the game. But that was thirteen, actually. Not get not getting in the game at all, and kind of the way he reacted to that. Of course, we know how he came back in the finals and what he did in in uh, in game what do you call seven. It a turd sandwich, a shit sandwich. It was a, it was a turd sandwich. Um, but I, I didn't know the detail of how he had begged Spo. Like I, he told me that he wanted to play that game, but he he basically told me he said before that game seven, I told Spo just get me in somewhere. I don't care. I know I've been shooting poorly. Give me a few minutes. And then Spolstra emptied the bench with everybody but Shane. Uh, and he didn't and even – You know, it's, it's funny. We talked about that a little bit pre-game, pre-show, pre-game, pre-show that, um, that sometimes Spo seems like he's a little bit uh, blind to some of these things where he's so in tune to the game and what's going on that he doesn't look for those little moments for a guy like Shane. And um, – which is why it was surprising to me in the last game in New Jersey or Brooklyn, I'm sorry, in Brooklyn where he put, where he gave Udonis a ton of minutes. Cause sometimes yeah. I, I think Spo just kind of just goes blind to those things. Cause he's so, he's so focused on the game in itself. And honestly, it probably was good for the heat <laughs> that they were out of playoff contention at that time. Mm -hmm. So Spo was not uh 100% laser focused on making the playoffs instead of having that moment because we would have never got that UD shot for the triple double, mm -hmm. uh, which, which is a great shirt, a classic moment, mellow LeBron CP three standing up, getting all excited about it. Like that, that moment was classic. And it was one of, it's one of those things where I feel like Spo has been blind to in the past. And it, it and I, I think that that Shane story kind of encapsulates that. Well, remember when Dwayne came back with the Bulls and he forgot to get uh, Dwayne and he forgot to get Udonis in the game of that, it's like that right? Like it's so it's amazing. You know what's funny? Um, and this is such a it's such a low level of what we're talking about, like um, mi micro microscopic. But at, at, from someone coaching youth basketball, like you'll have a kid that you want to get into the game. Mm -hmm. And the game is over before you even realize it. Right. 
and you just like don't even realize, like, oh shit, man, this kid, uh, the kid who you know who who's who looks funny and can't dribble. Like I forgot to get him in the game, you know, <laughs> for the last two minutes. Like we're blowing the other team out. But you don't think about those things in the heat of the moment. So I understand. I don't understand Spo because <laughs> listen, my my fourth grade youth basketball team is not on the level of the Miami Heat. But I will say that I understand that there is a there is something to being so wrapped up in the emotion and the 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 um the pace of the game that you just forget things. But it's just it's funny when you, when you hear uh, Shane talk about it because like. It's it's and, and we've heard that we've heard that about Spo before. Well, so it's, it's, it, it was a frustration of the role players, particularly during the big three. Um, I mean, it can be said now. I mean, it wasn't just Shane. I mean, I would I would sit there in the locker room with Mike Miller and James Jones pretty much before every game. It was kind of like you know the two guys in the Muppet Show. What are they? Is it Waldorf and Astoria or something like? You know the two the two old guys that always uh, this is this reference. Yeah. Is going, okay, the two old guys who sat up. You know, Wait, sort so he, of. That, that reference was actually a pretty recent one when people were discussing the Democratic primary. They were comparing those two to yes. Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. Pretty much. That's who they are. Right. Exactly. Uh, except probably, <laughs> uh, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get political, but yeah, uh, that, that's similar. And so you basically had, uh, you know, I mean, that's the situation where it's just like, I just totally lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Hold on. I'm sorry. I totally lost my train of thought. About, I, about Mike Miller and James Jones? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're keeping all this, by the way. I don't no, care. <laughs> you can keep it. I, nobody's listening to this. No, they are listening to this. Hopefully for our great sponsors. No, okay, I got my train of thought back. So James Jones and Mike Miller, that's kind of what it was. It was like they were like the peanut gallery. Like I'd come in the locker room and, you know, LeBron would be getting ready, walking in and out. Dwayne would be sort of icing his knee. CB would be reading a book, okay? Ray would be avoiding the media for as long as he could. So he'd come And so I would just talk to JJ and Mike, particularly on the road and it, it was it, it was a lot of complaints about not knowing their roles not knowing where they were supposed to play and all the rest of it and you know they were both total professionals about it and now James Jones is literally the general manager of an NBA team and I'm not surprised by that but it was just funny because they were always complaining about that with Spo and they were not the only ones I mean Rio others you know th- about this communication thing but I think sometimes it's not even intentional for Eric like you said I just think no he just can't, not, he just it's gets not intentional he just gets wrapped up. He's not, he's also a little bit um, confrontation averse generally. And so I think that plays into it, although he's had his moments with, with certain guys and with Jimmy has spoken about the moments they've had already, which have been very positive, but yeah, sometimes he just, I sort of lose his touch. All right. Well, listen, let's get into what we wanted to get into today, which is no, actually, before I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. Before we get into that, do you think he's gotten better? Cause I think he's gotten better and this is just some, you know, listen, I'm not in, the locker. I mean, I'm in the locker room, but I don't have like close relationship. <laughs> I was about to say I'm not in the locker room. It's, Nobody's it's in the locker room anymore. Or gonna- yeah, but um, I'm not. I don't have a lot of close relationships with these guys. But do you think because I hear what these guys say nowadays, and it doesn't sound like the big three years where Spo was kind of like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory, and he was almost a robot. <laughs> but now it seems more like he talks to the guys a lot more, and it's a lot more communicative. Like, what are, do you think he's better now? I think so. I think part of the reason is they've developed a lot of these guys. Um, I, I think there's more of a connection to those guys than when you bring in uh, a Mike Miller from somewhere else or some of the vets that he brought in who maybe had been coached a different way. A lot of these guys have, have only known the heat system, right? So it's easier to kind of, and plus Eric is sort of a minted man now, right? Like he's won, 
couple championships and he's the second longest tenured coach in the NBA. I think that's so. the difference right there. I think the difference I think right so. there is, is the the comfort. Like he knows his position. He's not getting fired. Like when no. when when Eric Spoelstra leaves the Miami Heat, is going to be on his own terms. So the pressure of the big three era is not there. Mm-hmm. And so now he can be more of himself and he can be more – because he is a guy who's very relatable to to players. Like, yes. he's not that much older. He's into a lot of the same things as far as music, fashion, shoes. Like, he's a Jordan connoisseur. So it's kind of – so you would He was think wearing the he was, backwards cap for years. He's still doing that. I Every time, every time I oh, saw that, him shoot around, he was wearing the backwards but cap. But now that's that's really not being relatable But to, to, to today's Well, that's my though. generation. I mean, again, I, I think of it because Eric's, <laughs> Eric's like two and a half years older than me, and I remember, you know, I was around when I was 24 and he was 26. So I remember him from all the way back there when he was kind of, you know, much lower but on I, the totem pole. I do think he has a lot of relatable qualities where it, that was one of the things where I was always confused as to why – there's some of the things he would rub guys the wrong way because you would think that he was like, you know, could be young hip coach, but I think he takes his job so seriously. And the big three era was just such a pressure packed, just, I mean, pressure chamber that he just, he he almost couldn't be himself. I feel like right now he is absolutely 100% himself. I think we see it in the Press conferences. I think nobody's seen it more than Alex. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that season. <laughs> nobody's got that. Nobody's got to know Spo better in one and what seventy five percent of the season Alex has. But I, I just, I, I, I'm sorry to derail the episode. I just, I find that part of Spo's um, evolution very fascinating. Just no expectations, that. man. That's what no expectations does to a man like Eric Spolster. <laughs> Looking younger than so. ever. I mean, you said he's two and a half years older than you, Ethan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, he looks like wow. That's he looks great for his age. Oh, wow, what, you're that, to, what, you're, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Everybody says I look younger than my age, and you're like, oh, he's two and a half years I, older than me. Come I mean, on. no, you don't that was a straight up age, shot. But that, like the Spo thing, was just like, oh wow, he's even younger than I he's thought. He's starting to lose a little on the top. Uh, he's starting to lose a little on the top. I mean, I already have, but he's starting to lose a lot on top, and he's not Jewish, so he doesn't have an excuse. But uh, I, I will tell you, we, I mean, I'm not going to share a lot of it, but we texted, he and I did, after the press conference uh, that he had about a week ago, week and a half ago, not press conference, but the, the, it wasn't even a Zoom call. It was just a conference call with us. And we texted back and forth about some things. The only thing I will reveal is he, he loves our No Obstacles shirt. I will tell you that. Um, <laughs> there, there, there are no obstacles, uh, you know. There are, there are obstacles, but there are none shirt, which, uh, which is on our website, which is a Pat Riley quote. Uh, he, he loves that shirt. So, I mean, he has a sense of humor. I think the thing about Spo is, is there are really two Eric Spolsters. I've said that for years. I think what Alf is mentioning is that I think those two have blended a little bit more. Like, I, I always knew two totally different people. I knew the person who was at the press conference, and I knew the person who I would run into on the court after a game who would be honest. Okay. Uh, I I think now that he's, he's in his own skin, he's honest more of the time publicly because I think he can be, but I do think a lot of it has to do, and I don't mind us derailing the episode a little bit of this. uh, I think a lot of it has to do, it's not just him being more comfortable in his own skin. I also think it's the type of players they have now. I mean, again, Duncan Robinson, they developed, right? Kendrick Nunn's never played an NBA level before. Uh, Tyler Hero never played an NBA level before. Derek Jones, it loves it here because they basically made him a player with his help, obviously. So all of these guys owe something to Spo. 
when you were dealing with more crusty veterans, especially smart crusty veterans, a lot of whom they had, sometimes they didn't click with Spo. Ray is the best example of that, okay? Ray is one of those people who, uh, he's very bright, very bright, okay? But he also, you know, believes he's the smartest person in the room. And I actually had a long conversation with Ray about this because I did a big piece for Bleacher Report because I basically thought that the, the Heat team that they assembled, that 12-13 team, was one of the smartest teams in NBA history, just intellectually, right? You had James Jones, Chris Bosh, Ray Allen, Shane Battier. Start there, okay? <laughs> just start with those four. Yeah. UD, mean- <laughs> UD, UD, UD's no dummy, okay? Uh, I mean, and is as street smart as anybody you'll ever find, all right? Uh, and LeBron has a photographic memory. So just start and, and, an, and, and, and a brain for business. Just start with those six, okay? There were no dumb guys in that room. I mean, Rio got a hard time. Rio's not a dumb guy, okay? They had some dumb guys in that locker room over the years. So I, I did a story where I talked to the, those core guys about what it is to be a smart guy in an NBA locker room and what that's like. And Ray basically said, sometimes I rub coaches the wrong way. And we saw that at the end with Spo, he clashed with Spo that last year because when you're bright and you have a certain idea about how things should be done, you may disagree with the guy who was actually setting the agenda. And I think that happened at times with that team. And I think that made it harder for Spo. I'm not saying that the Heat don't have a smart group now, but they've got kind of a young, naive group, right? So they're not fully formed in their adulthood or, or their opinions. They when have guys who are more malleable and yes. also Spo is more malleable. Correct. And, and they have a guy in Jimmy Butler who 100% thinks, and he's like, he's like a, I'm not saying he's a Spo clone, um, but when it comes to the intensity on the basketball court, like that intensity is just out of control. And, and I was about cr- to say the same thing. Like that's the one guy who probably wasn't perceived as malleable at all coming into mm-hmm. the situation. And it's like, Jimmy absolutely believes in Spo. I think that's as far as what we've seen so far, like he is 100% in. And so it's like Spo is probably feels as, as comfortable as he ever has. He told uh, his agent, uh, I can reveal this. He told his agent uh, the first week of camp, that he was testing Spo a little bit. And after the first week, he told his agent, that's the smartest coach I've ever played for. I'm not testing him anymore. Wow. No, oh, Oyberg is going to be pissed. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Oyberg is going to be pissed. <laughs> Maybe. I, but you're, I mean, he, he tested him. He tested him a little bit. I mean, he was still doing the get up at 5.30 and 3.30 in the morning thing, but he tested him a little bit. And Eric's been through enough. And, and look, Eric is intellectual in that way, but he also is tunnel visioned at times. Eric does this other thing where this is turning into a Spo episode, but that's fine. Eric does this other thing where you'll be talking to him about something. This happened to me many times where I would talk to him on the side after he did the general press conference because I had something to run by him. And I would bring something up and the conversation would go somewhere else. And I would keep talking. And like four minutes after I said something, he would start talking about the thing that I brought up four minutes earlier. It's like, it's still in his head. Like the wheels were still turning on how he wanted to answer something I said four minutes before. So I think sometimes players who are not used to that, they think he's ignoring them. He's not, it's like, he's processing it. It's when you spend enough time around someone like that. And I've spent a lot of time around him. You kind of figure out how, how his brain works. I, I kind of figured out LeBron, you know, pretty quickly in the first like three, four months and what LeBron would respond to. I think Spo and LeBron actually have a lot in common that I don't, I don't think that necessarily LeBron wanted to acknowledge until LeBron was gone. 
Um, it's just it's a fascinating character study. But like anyway, what? I think that's a very I, interesting statement right there. I, I, I just I think the way that they process information, I think that it's mm. just it's it's the look that they give you when you've clicked on something um, that I got for both of them. And to be honest, and I was told this before, and actually we talked about this on some of those Jimmy Chronicle episodes we had. Jimmy is a lot like LeBron. Um, one of the things that the people around him told me, and especially the reporters like Vinny Goodwill and Casey Johnson and uh, the guys who, who Keith Pompey, who've, who've developed relationships with him, John Krasinski, they told me, they said, you'll think Jimmy's not hearing everything and seeing everything that's in the room. He hears everything. He knows who's asking the questions. He knows who he wants to give a good answer to and who he doesn't. I picked that up with LeBron at the very beginning. LeBron would do this thing with the group where I didn't think he knew me very well, but then there were a couple of us, Mike Wallace, myself, and a couple others who he would, when you asked a question, you got a better answer. You could ask the same damn question that somebody <laughs> he didn't like asked, you would get a better answer. And I remember us, since we're going to talk about Jordan in this episode, I remember us being at the All-Star Game in Houston for Jordan's 50th. It was Jordan's 50th birthday. So the whole weekend was about Jordan and his 50th birthday. The whole weekend, okay? And LeBron was sick of it, okay? And that was when <laughs> we used to have availability both days. So wow. Friday and Saturday. So by the time it got to Saturday, you had all the international media. You guys saw how that – well, you saw how that was, Alex. You got all the international media, everybody asking him to say hello to my friends in Belgium, Okay. Uh, and all of that stuff, and everybody asking him, MJ, 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 MJ. And finally, uh, LeBron just looked at them, and he looked at me and Wallace. He stopped because we were sort of parked aside. He looked at me and Mike Wallace. He said, you guys have anything? <laughs> and we're wow. like, I mean, literally, this was at a group. You asked me a question. <laughs> you asked me, right. And, and, you know, I'm not – this is not to boast or anything. It's just to say that he was looking for somebody who would at least try to communicate with him like he was a human being, not just a quote board. Um, and I, I think with Eric, Eric, there are some similarities there, too. Do you guys remember that at one point in the big three era, probably uh, end of the second season and most of that third season and the fourth season, um, LeBron just started sounding exactly like yeah. Eric. Yeah. <laughs> it was. And then even afterwards, he still sounds like a heat player. Wasn't like, he saying he uh, spoke quotes like in Cleveland? Yeah, he yeah. was still exactly. He, he, was, the, the, he was the whole first year he was repeating Spo. The whole first year thing is the main thing. Yeah, well, that's a Rileyism. But yes, it, it, a lot. You know, half of the Spoisms are Rileyisms. Okay, so uh, although I think the number may be a little less than that now because Eric has developed his own vernacular. But for a while, a lot of things that Le, that Spo said, LeBron said. I mean, excuse me, uh, Riley said. And so yeah, by by extension LeBron started saying Riley things but they were really supposed they were started saying Spolster things but they were really Riley things but I do think what was fascinating about that was I remember the first year with when with LeBron and Spo like Spo won coach of the year one month and LeBron wouldn't address it like that's the biggest fluff you know you win coach of the year because you had the most wins that month there's nothing else that goes into it there's no panel there's no nothing this guy had the most wins he's coach of the month and so the, the, the reporters, I forgot where we were, but the reporters were trying to stir something up, but they were trying to get LeBron to say something nice about Spo winning Coach of the Month, and he would not say it. Like this, this, he just, they kept circling back to it, and he would not say it. And when I look from where they were in 2010, 2011, to where LeBron was without Spo, but basically parroting Spo, everything he said, 
it, not parodying, but parroting in 2014, 2015, it was a remarkable, the transformation. I think LeBron developed a lot more respect for Spo after he had to deal with David Blatt. Uh, after, you know, after he sort of had to, you know, who called himself, a, I was there for this, he called himself a fighter pilot. Uh, David Blatt was a disaster as an NBA head coach. I think LeBron kind of uh, realized that. And actually, I know we talked a lot about something else, but this is a great transition. So after the break, everybody's talking LeBron and MJ today. So we're going to talk that. All right, guys, before we get back to the show, I want to welcome everybody to our newest sponsor, Apollo Leaf. Okay, Apollo Leaf provides top of the line premium CBD extracted and then formulated for maximum benefit. Apollo Leaf offers unique products like their sleep sprays and energy sprays, which are especially useful for this current turbulent time. Right. People ask me all the time, Alf, why CBD? Well, CBD benefits include anxiety reduction, increased focus, sleep assistance, pain relief, and more. Apollo Leaf is based out of Miami, so they're local, and they only source ingredients from top farms in the USA. Apollo Leaf uses broad-spectrum CBD that includes all the benefits of the cannabis plant, but removes all the THC. So go now to www.apolloleaf.com and use code HEAT at checkout for 25% off your first order. That's right, guys. The code HEAT, H-E-A-T, your favorite basketball team, and that's 25% off at Apollo Apolloleaf.com. A-P-O-L-L-O leaf.com. Now back to the episode. All right, back here on Five on the Floor. Now, what we were supposed to talk about today was the last dance. All three of us watched it, episodes one and two. Yep. Okay. Um first episode was I, I thought the first thing, I thought that the way they've put this together was interesting. It's chronological, but it's not, right? Like, so it's supposed to be about the last season, the 97, 98 season that, that the bulls were together supposed to be about that, but there's a lot of kind of going back in time. So over the course of two episodes, the second episode was really more the Scotty Pippen episode, but the, the two episodes kind of, you get that, but you also got some of Jordan's childhood. You got Jordan with Dean Smith and Roy Williams and James Worthy and Sam, Sam Perkins at Carolina. You got Jordan uh, in the 63 point game against a bunch of future head coaches of the show, from the Boston Celtics, <laughs> Rick Carlisle. What's his Bobby? That was one of the best lines. I think. That oh was my Tommy. God! Was, was oh, that, that Tommy Heidson who said that? I think. I think it might have been. That might have been the best line from like the, both of the parts. I was like, wow, they they did them dirty. They, they did them. They did it there. Well, I, I think the best lies that one, the Scotty Pippen, you're not going to fuck my summer up, uh, was, was pretty good. And then the, Carlisle only played three minutes in that game. I saw it today. And they, and they put that in the, in the damn documentary. Oh, that's so bad. And so his hairline was exactly the same. And, and James Worthy over there. And James Worthy, who, who came out and said, I was the best player on the team for about two weeks, uh, which actually was not true. Worthy was the best player that uh, whole first that, – that Worthy was great. I mean, Worthy – Worthy is me, so underrated. Underrated. Incredible. Oh God. One of the best playoff performers of all time and, and the best third wheel of all time, in my view. The best. Oh, that's not, no, not even close. It's not even close. It's not. It's, oh. I, Chris Bosh is second. He's now, the, you gotta, now, you also have to think there were times where he was better than Kareem. That mm-hmm. late in their careers, yeah. I mean, that late in Kareem's career and that uh, early in James's career, there were times that he was better than Kareem. Yeah. Um, no. But people don't remember that because Kareem's body of work is so excellent. And that, yeah. and I just want to address the fact that people have been coming at me all day uh, on Twitter about my '80s basketball takes. 
guys, I watched basketball in the eighties, right? I was, I'm old, I'm 39 years old. So I was born in 1981. I remember the Lakers winning in 1986 uh, or 87. I can't remember. I do, well, I remember, but I, I the, the, my first championship I ever watched was magic winning uh, with the Lakers. So I do remember the 80, 80s basketball and it was, the, the defense was trash, but we can get into that later. Yeah, it was bad. We're going to get into that now, actually. But yeah, James Worthy was James Worthy was an amazing basketball player. Like on the break, his yeah. athleticism, and that's and that's one of the things we'll talk about the athleticism of some of these guys. The 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 distance between a guy like James Worthy and Danny Ainge, who Danny Ainge was considered an elite basketball player at the time. The athletic distance between the best of the best and some of these flat-footed guys was so far um, where now in today's game, you're not going to see that big of a difference between uh, even the most elite player and the last guy on the bench. Everybody's a great athlete. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I will say that about, like, James Worthy. James Worthy was – every, every fast-break sequence you see and, uh, and, and uh, Magic is doing something fancy – it's off to uh, James Worthy, and yeah. he's finishing, and he's ridiculous. He was one of the best finishers of all time. I, it, I mean, the way that he would he would fill the lane, he could have played in any era. I mean, I think in this any. era, he, he, he would have developed his jumper a little bit more in this era. So one, one last question about Worthy, mm-hmm. since you guys uh, said that take. So you would put him over Bosch, Clay, Draymond, Rodman, any of those guys yep. as the yes. best third man yes. ever. Yes. 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 Because yes. he, he honestly wasn't even the third best at times. He was the second best. Right. And Kareem had declined some, so you got to take that into consideration. But I, I think if you got Riley, this might be an interesting question for him sometime. I think if you got, if you got Riley in an honest moment uh, and you had to pick one of the third wheels, and again, he, he coached against a bunch of them, and then he brought in Bosch and he coached Worthy, uh, I th- I think he'd pick James. I, I just uh, – it's, it's, again, it's no disrespect to Bosch, uh, who was tremendous. And even the pot I did with today with Battier, he called Bosch the best pick-and-roll defender in the league, which we've talked about. Chris could have carried teams offensively, no question. But it was the level that Worthy did it at year after year after year in the postseason. I mean, they called him big game James for a reason. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we call big shot Bosch. But, I mean, that was for mostly regular season stuff. And we talk about the rebound. But If James but, Worthy had his own team – he would have, he would have been one of those uh, Bernard King types, yeah, where he put up I mean tremendous numbers mm-hmm. on a lo- in a losing effort. But that's but how ridiculous w- that Lakers. T- I mean, again, <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, Byron Scott was their fourth or fifth best player, and Byron Scott, when he was with the Clippers before he was traded, was their leading scorer, averaging like twenty three. And could have been a leading scorer on fifteen teams in the league, and he was their fourth option. And at times. Uh, when when they had Michael Thompson or when Cooper was on, he was their sixth option. I so that team was insane. So this '80s, huh? This 1980s that you guys speak of, it really just <laughs> sounds like, you know, the what comes before this era that we're in right now is just you know these high scoring games. And then you talk about the Lakers and Celtics and the type of talent that they had and what you're describing right now. It really just sounds like what the Warriors had and like. <laughs> It, it no. sounds like it's without the three point shoot, without it's the three different. point shooting, though. And I, I and I will in this and and I think this is what we're exactly. going to get without into next. Shooting. This is what we're going to get into next is the defensive schemes. Mm-hmm. Like, listen, just uh, just a moving Ancient. moving the ball around the perimeter would send defenses into a scramble <laughs> back in '85, bro. Yeah. Like everyone would lose their shit. 
Like, what? They're, they're swinging the ball all the way around the court? Like, a skip pass was like, what is happening? Like, like we have to realize, like, what the difference was. I remember the illegal defense and, like, everyone talks about hand-checking, but the, the fact that you couldn't play zone back in the 80s made things – like, you had to stick to your man. So if there's a guy like Jordan, like, you have to send that double team so early, mm-hmm. like, before he even makes a move. Like, you have to send a double team as soon as he gets the ball. And yet, at the end of that sequence, the one you're talking about where the Celtics were just skipping around passes, and, you know, that was what made them so good, the 86 Celtics team. Uh, then you have there just Jordan getting an open shot, and it's like, I don't know, man. They weren't even guarding him on a lot of those plays. It's not even that, that they, I mean, you're watching it, and Michael has no – they're going under every screen. There's not even a screen. It's just, they're, they're not even guarding him. And that's, that is what we want to talk about because this debate has started. I don't want to do the Jordan-LeBron thing. I don't. I, it's, it's been all over Twitter again today. How about the Wade Pippen thing? That one's been I, relevant. That we've talk, we can talk about that a little bit. I, the the Jordan-LeBron thing, I'm, just, I'm done with it because I feel – why does this documentary on Michael Jordan have to be a referendum on LeBron James? Like, I – it's it to me. That's a whole nother episode, man. Right, and we and we'll talk about it at some point, but I don't want to do that today. I think what we want to get into, and I know it's peripherally related, but but what you're getting into, which is, you know, we're watching Michael, and I watched all those games. I'm older than you, okay, so I watched all those games. Um, I obviously, you know, watched all the games in the '90s where, where their teams were trying to scrape out, you know, 88 points. Okay, I was at every Heat Knicks playoff series game. I, I just. I, I don't know why we have to disparage. To me, there's two ways to look at Jordan, okay, from an offensive standpoint. By the way, Michael was an incredible defensive player too. But from an... Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Offensive yes, st- from an for, right, from an offensive standpoint. Okay. The one point that's always made about Michael is in the current era where you can't touch anybody, right? Where the hand hand checking is made illegal that Michael would average like 50. It's kind of like the Marino argument, right? Like, well, you can't, you can't hold uh, receivers, you know, anymore. You can't touch receivers. And so in this era, and I think Dan said it, he would throw for 60 touchdowns and like 6,000 yards. And he probably would. He probably would, okay? Yeah, um, but he'd get killed by the, <laughs> the speed of the pass rushers on the no, edge. He, right? No, he wouldn't because he had the fastest relief, still, release of all time. So uh, he'd be fine. I think- I, He'd, He'd be, he would be, but okay. I he would, it. he would be fine. Okay. He'd be fine. But the I question think it's a different with, argument though, the question with Michael is which side of this do you two guys take? Do you take there's, there's, there's no hand checking today. So Michael would average in the forties. All right. 
Or do you go the other direction and say today, Michael would be going against prime Andre Iguodala, prime uh, Clay Thompson, prime Draymond Green, prime Paul George. Kawhi. Kawhi, okay? And, and not Rick Carlisle with three, three strands of hair on his head. Like, is that I – mean, So, this, here's my thing. Michael Jordan would have figured it out in any era because he was so athletic, right, that he – his athleticism was beyond like the 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 clip where he hit the, his head on the back on the, on the backboard. Ridiculous! That block was outrageous. Guys who are six five don't do that today. Mm-hmm. So that that's my thing. His athleticism was so above and beyond anybody else. So my my criticism of '80s defense isn't a criticism of Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan would have figured it out at any time. I just want to dispel this myth. That 80s defense was so tough and so incredible, and LeBron could never do what he does in, in, in the 80s. Like, like, LeBron would murder these guys in the 80s the same way that Jordan murdered these guys in the 80s. But the same way that Jordan, if, if LeBron didn't have any help, he wouldn't win. The same way when Jordan didn't have any help, he didn't win. So that's my whole thing. Like, let's stop fit romanticizing this 80s basketball that was so, like, ridiculous and crazy. Like, Jordan did a lot of what he did in the 80s because he was an athletic freak above and beyond. Even the James Worthies, who I thought, mm-hmm. when if you look back, James Worthy was an athletic freak. Now, now compare James Worthy, Worthy to Michael Jordan. Like, it's two different scopes. Like, it's two different levels. But at the same time, every basketball player needs help. Now, would Jordan do – would Jordan be dropping 60 points a game in today's NBA? Hell no, because, yes, they can't hand check. But also, a guy like Bam Adebayo can sit there and play a zone defense and just wait on Jordan to get into the lane. Like, the this the quasi-zone where guys play free safety and just and roam and just wait. You know, you don't have to double-team early. Like, mm-hmm. you basically, basically can wait for a guy to make his move to, to cross the lane and, and double-team. Like, there's, there's a whole different style of defense. So Jordan would have figured it out, but it's not to I, – honestly, I think you'd have a tougher time in today's NBA, but he'd still score 30 a game. Don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. he'd have a tougher time in today's NBA than he did in the 80s. And you saw in the 90s when things switched up, Jordan wasn't scoring as much per game. Or he wasn't – No, rocking. no, he wasn't scoring as much per game. But I think – I understand what you're saying, but I also think your your opinion here may be a little colored – I know you saw all those games, but a little colored by the clips you just saw and not the clips you're going to see next week. Because next week, after the Rodman episode, there's going to be a lot on the Pistons. But that's and, not good defense. See, I that's not good. What the Pistons did to Jordan wasn't good defense because they sent him to the line. They did send him to the line most of the time. I, I think there were probably plenty of times he didn't go to the line. I think that's those are the clips you've got to look at. Because if you go to the line, you're going to pay for it at the line, right? The same way that the Mavericks paid for it at the line when they guard when they guarded Dwayne. I, I look at as well, look. We could talk about Kobe. Uh, let's talk about Dwayne. I don't want to talk about LeBron. Let's talk about Dwayne in the context of Jordan because Dwayne's game is more similar to, was more similar to Jordan's than do we agree on that than LeBron's is? Oh hell right? yes. Okay. All right. Okay, in the same way Kobe's was. All right, so Dwayne, look, my thing is this. Okay, Dwayne averaged that one year, his best year, 08, 09, the scoring title year. What did he average, 31? Yes, almost 31. 30. 
Okay. And Michael's best year was 37, I think, right? But he was, he was always hanging around that 30 to 32 range most of the time. I mean, look, Michael had two inches on Dwayne, probably two or three, right? I mean, Michael's a legit 6'6". Six, six. Uh, Dwayne? Yeah, probably three. Three, six, six, two, six, three. Six, three. Um, Michael probably has, what, 20 pounds on Dwayne? Probably? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Michael's, Michael's a better jump shooter than Dwayne. Do we agree on that? Yeah. Yes, for sure. Okay. Uh, so if Dwayne averaged 31 at the and as an athlete, as great an athlete as Dwayne was, we're not going to argue that he was a better athlete than Michael, right? Uh, at any stage? No. Okay. No. Okay. So if Dwayne averaged 31 at the peak of his powers, why wouldn't Jordan average why wouldn't Jordan average 35 to 38 provided that his team needed him to do that? I think I mean, he could I, easily get there. I think we're like you look at what Harden is doing right now, and they're obviously very different players. Harden's whole game, like you know, is is the symbol of what this whole era is all about. Now it's strictly layups and threes, so it's a different style of basketball altogether. But even in that, like because of the style of basketball that's being played now, where he has such an open floor, it would make things so easy for him. I think he could easily average thirty-five. I don't think he would he would average fifty. I think that's you know just an exaggeration. But he could definitely put up some 50-pointers. It would, it would just be a lot tougher, I feel like, to have those huge games because of the, the amount of athleticism there is in the defense. And like I've said, the defenses are com- are complex now. Like, you know, you can do all types of different things. And depending on the players you're playing against, right? Like, we look at a guy like Giannis, who everybody considers unstoppable, but we go you go to the playoffs and there's a defensive game plan for him. And, and if everybody that – and even though Jordan didn't have – you know, you can't compare him to Giannis at all. They don't have the same flaws or anything like that there's always going to be a game plan, right? They're always going to try to force it out of his hands and make everybody else beat him who, despite who who be on the team. So I don't think it would be something that will come to him all the time. But with the open floor that there is now, I, I don't doubt that he could average 35 for like seven straight seasons if he really wanted to. And I think he could See, if Harden can. I mean, I, I, I don't plus know he'd gonna, shoot the three more often. Which would I don't know if he's going to definitely shoot more threes. Yeah, yeah I think he would shoot more. At, listen, 30, 35, I, I think – I think Jordan could score in any era, right? So a lot of what I'm saying, like I said, it's not to disparage Jordan. But one of the things I will say about that, quote-unquote, tough defense of the Pistons, what eventually got Jordan over the hump and what he, why he always, even as much as they battered and bruised and hit him and this, why he always excelled is the same way Dwayne, same reason Dwayne excelled in 2006, because some guys get hit and stop going to the basket. And then other guys get hit and keep going. And Jordan was one of those guys, and Dwayne was one of those guys in 2006. So people – now I'm not going to compare the, the Mavericks, what they did to Dwayne, compared to what the Pistons did to Jordan. It's not even close. But there's guys who get hit and stop going in the lane. Jordan was never one of those guys. So this whole idea that the Pistons and their brutality was such a deterrent Jordan was never scared. No. He was going to keep going right in there. So was Pippen. And the, the problem was they were just too young. To me, it wasn't the it wasn't the physicality of the Pistons. It was the youth of Jordan and Pippen that held them back the first those those first few years. Once they got over that, they they were done with the Pistons. They once it was it's like uh LeBron it, and everyone the better says comparison it. is the Celtics. For LeBron. Yeah, for LeBron. That's what I'm saying. After a while, yeah, that's 
everyone says you have to go through that one team that's blocking you. And LeBron had to go through the, uh, the big three Celtics. And he did. Well, and, and it's like certain teams just never break through. The Pacers had to get through the big three heat and couldn't. Three straight yeah. years, they couldn't do it. Uh, I mean, you have to have a special player who, elevates you, who, who progresses and elevates you ahead of them. Uh, OKC might have done it to Golden State, but Durant didn't stay. Instead, he, he joined them. But, yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> typically, that's typically the way that this goes, is you beat your head against the wall and you get through it. I think part of it, though, to be honest, I, I do agree part of it was because they were young. But part of it was, uh, you know, they had Horace Grant. I, I, you know, he replaced Oakley. Um, I, I don't, I think Rodman gave them the different dimension. And obviously at that time, Rodman was on the other side. Uh, he was with the Pistons. And, you know, what people don't talk about with that Pistons, if you talk about the backcourt and everything, but they were just deep. They were deep. I mean, they, they were bringing Sally and Rodman off the bench and Vinnie Johnson. Like that's one of the best bench cores of all time, uh, those three guys. And so, I, that was a really, really good team. I mean, it wasn't just Isaiah and Dumars and, and all that. But I, to me, the thing that separates Michael, and you know, I don't want to have the Michael-LeBron debate, but I was talking to Shane today about LeBron's you know, 45-point game in Boston, and it was remarkable. And LeBron's had a lot of those games, including some of them since he's left Miami against Golden State, and obviously what he did to win the championship with Cleveland and carrying the Cavs on his back even the year that he didn't win when Kyrie and Love were hurt. But the difference with LeBron and, and Jordan to me, and the reason why I do agree Jordan would figure it out in any era, is because when you were going against Jordan, you knew you were losing. You knew you were losing. Like he was, I, I, I've never experienced, you know, I was on the wrong side because I wasn't a Dolphin fan at the time. I was a Jet fan going against Marino in 84, and you just knew you were fucked. Okay. It's just like, I mean, just certain guys, like that you just know it, right? With Michael, I don't know how to describe this to you, Alex. There's nobody in today's game like that. It, it, there's, it was it, Thanos. It was Thanos and the Avengers. <laughs> I believe Alex. it. If you, I believe it because LeBron was never that. The, LeBron was never that. If you want, no. if you want to know the difference, it was Thanos and the Avengers, and that was it. Was the inevitability like and that yeah. and it, it and you watch and you watched with 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 a, with attention and you were involved but you knew like you knew you knew how it ended no shot yeah you knew how it ended i I mean and and that's and if you look at that era and again i was a knicks fan i was i've acknowledged on this podcast like you knew like it wasn't even about michael sometimes you were just gonna lose like charles smith getting blocked four times at the rim like you were you were going to lose like he was going to find a way to beat you at the end and and then you look at the, the teams that he beat the teams that he beat. LeBron does they beat LeBron beat Golden State. Okay. And LeBron beat a very young but very talented Oklahoma City team. And he beat a San Antonio team that has, you know, three or four Hall of Famers on it. Okay. So yes. Well, those are some good ones. <laughs> there are some good ones. There are also <laughs> some weaker ones. But yes, there are some good sure. ones. Okay. But if you look at what Michael did, all right. So first year he beats Magic. Okay. That was uh, come on. That was. A I bad know Magic Laker wasn't Magic. Team. It wasn't a great Laker team, but and it Magic, was not. I mean, it, you had Vladi instead of uh, Kareem. Yeah, Vladi instead of Kareem. It was. It was not. And Byron. Team. Well, Byron Scott was hurt for most of that series. Was he? I don't even remember that. Byron was hurt for the the Pistons series where he and, and Magic uh, pulled their hamstrings. They didn't have a chance. But I, yes, that was not a great Laker team. Okay, so I'll give you that one. But then you look. He beat what I thought was a really good Suns team with the league MVP on it. In he did. That was a good team. Really good team. A really good Sonics team. Really good Sonics team. Okay. Kemp, when Kemp was Kemp, Peyton at sort of his peak, uh, Hersey Hawkins, Detlef Schrempf. That was a really good team. That Portland team was an excellent team. 
Drexler, Porter, Honestly, Buck Williams, Portland, D- Duckworth. That Portland and, uh, team might have been the best team. There was a terrific team, and Clyde was incredible in that series. And Clyde at the time might have been the second best player in the NBA. So that was, that was a tremendous, tremendous team. So he beat those teams, and then he beat a very good Utah team twice. Okay, yes. at the end, a That's very true. good Utah team with Stockton, Malone, Hornacek. Uh, you know, Byron Russell was okay, Ostertag. But, I mean, that was a very, very complete team that knew exa- that was extraordinarily well coached and knew what it was doing. So, but you knew he was going to win. Like, one way or another, whether he was pushing off or had the flu, or it d- didn't matter. Like, he was going to win. That, that feeling of inevitability doesn't exist with LeBron to that degree. To that degree. And, and but to me, I maybe LeBron was just that for the East. Yes. <laughs> yes. Probably. But I, I also think I don't know. Did that 2014 Spurs team, the 2007 Spurs team, Jordan's team was terrible. I mean, LeBron's team was terrible. Yes. Um, now the 2014 Spurs team was really good. That was a young Kawhi, Duncan, mm-hmm. all the all the Spurs legends, and that Golden State team. I don't know if Jordan's Bulls could have beat that team. Well, totally different style. I was thinking about that last night. It's actually an interesting debate, so maybe we'll close with that. Uh, take the best Bulls team. That's an easy one. Well, let, let's let's go through it though. Take the best. <laughs> take the take the best Bulls team was what Longley at center, Rodman at the four, Pippen, Jordan. I was at Kerr. Uh, BJ was still there, right? So maybe BJ Armstrong. He always had a collection of kind of Mario Chalmers types playing the point, right? Like spot up shooters. BJ Armstrong. Um, BJ Armstrong was there. And Kukoc, right? Okay, Kukoc, who was a pretty damn good player. Actually, in these days, Tony would get a lot more flexibility. He wasn't Doncic, but but he was pretty good. Okay, he was really He was good. better than um, Gallo. Yes. Mm. I, like, yes. I think he's a step up from Gallinari. He's a step up from Gallinari. I would agree. That's the closest comp. I, he's a better playmaker than Gallinari. Yes. Um, uh, but he, and, and I think we saw at the year that Jordan was out and Pippen and Kukoc led that team that he was a very capable number two if he needed to be. So you take that team against the best Warriors team. Who guards Jordan? Clay? Yep. And he's going to do a, de- a decent enough job. Yep. And then, and then who guards Scotty? Draymond or Durant? Draymond. Draymond, for sure. And then Scotty's Scotty's guarding like KD help off of Rodman all day. And oof, it's gonna I'm, I'm, that's not easy. <laughs> Dude, that, the fact that the, the, the Durant thing kind of just I don't want I don't want to yeah. hear it. Yeah. Like, I don't want to hear it. Durant I just can't Durant, imagine okay. that team guarding the, the the Warriors. Like imagine it just wasn't it's not fair. Like it's not a fair conversation. Like you said, the styles are so drastically different that it's like that Bulls team could not keep up with the Warriors if they were playing with today's uh with today's rules, like there's no way, there's no way they could. And I'm going to say the same like thing that. about the Big Three Heat team. The Big yeah. Three Heat team against the Warriors with Durant, it wasn't fair. It was a cheat code. Like it's not. Who would guard ah. Curry on the Bulls? Jordan or Pippen? Oh, Jordan. Not, they would. You're, oh. you're not putting. You're not putting B.J. Armstrong on him, are you? No. Well. No, you no oh, oh, you know, you, you know what I'm forgetting? They had but, Ron Harper. They had Ron. Oh, Harper. see, exactly. Ron Harper. Ron, that's, Ron, that's, Ron could still defend. He wasn't an offensive player by the end of his career, but he could still defend. That's so. one of those things where they talk about how, uh, you know, Jordan did it by himself, which if you watch yesterday, it was, it was glaringly obvious that Jordan didn't do shit by himself. Like he had a really good team 
And Ron Harper, you talk about how Byron Scott came over. I believe Ron Harper came from the Clippers as well. Yeah. Um, you talk about how Byron Scott came from the Clippers and was an amazing player. Ron Harper was uh, a, one of the best scorers in the league. But he, he wasn't the same by the time he got to the Bulls. He, he was I understand a different, that. He was a different player. Like, you're right. With the Clippers on bad teams, and a couple of teams were pretty good. Uh, on on generally bad teams, he had the one year with Larry Brown. You know, he was a guy who could, who averaged like twenty four. I mean, he you know and, and filled up the rest of the box score. Like he was a very complete player. By the time he got to the Bulls, the knees were shot, but he was a very very smart, savvy defender. Um, and and he, he was an Iguodala. Ball moved. He Iguodala, was very much an Iguodala. Yeah. Yeah, he was a very competent player, and he wasn't really a point guard. But he started at point guard, um, similarly to kind of a lot of the guys who started at point guard with LeBron or Dwayne over the years. And, and he, was, he was productive. And here's the other thing. He was long. And that's the other reason why I think you're, you're discounting them a little bit against the Warriors. I, because They had length. They have length. I, with Pippen, Jordan, and Harper, I mean – You have to shorten that rotation a lot is what I'm saying. Yeah, there's <laughs> yes, certain guys you couldn't play, right? You couldn't play Steve Kerr against Steve Kerr's Warriors, uh, right? I don't think that would work. No. Uh, you know, and, or, or any of the previous guys, John Paxson. Or, they would know, try to stick him on Iguodala, and then, I mean on, on Livingston, and Livingston would just cook him in the post. Pretty much. Probably wanted to do that in practice. <laughs> uh, yeah, you couldn't do that, but, I, I, but, I, but look, the Warriors didn't have a big to worry about. Uh, really. So, you know, Luke Longley would be fine. You could probably play small with Rodman at the five. At well, the thing was that the Warriors would always play. They, they were the ones who started to really play off, uh, you know, these big slower centers off of the floor. Mm-hmm. They, they were yeah. the ones to do it the most. So that's why I think it like these guys would could play, but it would just have to whoa, be. Whoa, whoa. Can you give the heat credit for that? No, but I'm just saying the Warriors took it to the max. Where like you, you just could not, you just couldn't do it. You just well, the death lineup late in games. They, you could once once Draymond went in at the five. It was, I mean, you you, you couldn't play a big. Exactly. Uh, the Warriors returned Wennington into what Andrew Bogut was for the Warriors. He was right. the first few minutes, and then you know the first few minutes of the third, maybe, and that's it. Yeah, I mean the Bulls never had great centers. Longley was the best of them. Um, what about Cartwright? Uh, Cartwright was old. But Cartwright was was done by the time he got there. Like, Bill was a good offensive player with the Knicks, but by the time he got there, he wasn't great. I mean, they needed to make the Oakley trade. It's interesting. I, I think as we do this era stuff, again, you have to account for how players would progress and be different. If Michael was in this era, he was never a great three-point shooter. I think he would have made himself a pretty good three-point shooter. Um, I mean, Le- LeBron was not a good three-point shooter when he first came into the NBA. And Jordan had a pure jump shot as far as the mid-range, so that's yes. why I just I had way more. I would have had way more trust in him to develop the three. And like LeBron developed, Pippen would have Pippen would have turned into a great three-point shooter. Yes, I Pippen would. And I, mean, I was looking; he had some decent. Like he he was taking four or five threes a game back then, and and shooting about 35 percent. So I'm like, I wouldn't worry. I wouldn't be worried at all about Pippen as a shooter either. Pippen would have turned himself it turned himself into a great three point shooter. He would he would have been Andre Iguodala on steroids. Like it really would. It yeah, would I was going to ask you that. Let's close with that. That was going to be my. Cause I I want to talk more about Scotty if we do this again because uh, I think Scotty's one of the most underrated players in NBA history. I think he gets, absolutely. I, I I think he gets a bad rap because bit of a diva, huh? He was a bit of a diva, and that that well that well that year what he's always remembered for it's not just that situation, but. He's remembered for the year that Jordan wasn't there, and the Bulls won 55 games with Pete Myers, of all people, playing the two because Scotty and Kukoc carried them. 55 games after losing Michael Jordan. I mean, can you, I mean, look what happened to Cleveland when they lost LeBron. It's amazing. They were 55 and 27. I mean, look what happened to Heat when they lost LeBron. Um, and, but Scotty, there was the playoff game against the Knicks, 
that he refused to, to go back in the game because the play was designed for Kukoc. And to me, that colored a lot of the Scottie Pippen talk because that was the year that he took the reins as their best player, and he was an MVP candidate the entire season. And then when it mattered, he got pissy. Okay? I mean, the way they were come, explaining his uh, come up, you know, a lot of people probably, like me, definitely didn't know about his, his come up in Arkansas and, you know, him come, growing up and wanting to be like Dr. J. And, and he even says it in the doc because it was important to him to to kind of be that guy and, and that one season i guess where he got to be that guy he won 55 55 games uh without jordan and then boom they run a play for kukoc when it really matters and then it, it, he could have yeah. he could have handled it better i understand where he was coming from he could have definitely handled it better <laughs> that's for sure not his best moment um but the contract thing is ridiculous the other thing people don't realize is these days everybody's like, why don't you renegotiate the contract? New the NBA contracts these days, you can't renegotiate. Teams cannot renegotiate them. But that was the trade-off for them being so short. In the old days, you could go up to seven years. And so that's why Pippen signed that ridiculous, like $3 million a year contract, and everybody passed him. I think the year after, like Larry Johnson signed for $84 million, like and Scotty was making twenty two. Uh, not per year, total. And so, and everybody's, but Reinsdorf could have, as he said in the episode, could have renegotiated it. He wouldn't. And I, I think what we've seen is like, they killed their own dynasty. They just destroyed it. I think that's what's, you know, this whole thing is about. But it's interesting stuff. We'll, I just we'll didn't understand it at the end when they were saying how it, it was so obvious that, that was going to be their last year. I'm like, they're still winning championships. It's yeah. not like the Celtics, <laughs> like, oh, they were losing in the second round. <laughs> One, like five and oh, in, in their past five, like, I just didn't understand it at all, but I guess there was more to it behind the scene. Well, it was, it was what they I talked can't wait about. I for next episode to see if Scotty gets traded. Uh, no, he doesn't. He comes back. <laughs> no, he, he comes, that was a joke, man. I know. Yeah, yeah. He comes, but but you, you saw what Tracy McGrady said, though. He said yeah, yeah. Uh, that it, he would have been traded for him, but he was so young at the time, and Michael was older. I don't, you know, they would have been great together. because, it, Like, what is the Scotty Pippen comp these days? I said it was Kawhi. Is that the closest? He's not. That he's is a that is the closest. Because yeah. you you got to imagine um, Scotty with his own team, right? And we, and we saw it for two years, and then he was Kawhi. Yeah, he was. Kawhi. He was absolutely Kawhi. Yeah, he filled up the box score, man. I saw him hitting those turnarounds in some of those clips last night, man. Oof. He Scottie was really good. Burner. He was he was really good. Like when people talk about the best small forwards of all time, like he he's not talked about, and I don't. You know what? That really that Kawhi good. comparison is perfect. Just the way that he defended, mm. and like his speed laterally, the fact that he had guard skills as, I mean, how tall was Scotty? Six eight. Yeah, he's a better playmaker than Kawhi. Definitely. You think so? I mean, yeah. I think they're close. Kawhi has become a better playmaker. I think we saw that in the game down but here. But he didn't have – He's he never been play, a high assist the, guy. Um, he didn't play the point forward like Scotty did. He never no. had those guard skills until a couple of years ago, I think, when he could really no. start demanding an offense to be, to, yeah. to, and, and do it all the time. I feel like before, before those last couple of years with the Spurs, he didn't really have that in his game. I mean, I think he has more physicality than Pippen, but, but Scotty was kind of wiry strong. I, I don't think he got enough – uh, credit for that, like you mentioned the the Pistons series, but I, yeah, he was uh, Scotty was tremendous. I mean, like I said, the, the most most years Scotty you could have made an argument was the second best player in the NBA uh, yep. uh, uh, to the guy on his own team, and just has not gotten any credit for it. Um, I did see that Larsa Pippen came out and 
is telling people don't feel sorry for Scotty and actually took a screenshot of his basketball reference page with how much money he's made. And of course they're giving her a hard time because if you know the, the history there, um, are you yeah. guys familiar? Yeah. You guys are familiar with that. So I think I'm that's not. what you're not. What, let's, let's get over that I part. Don't really, I, that's one of those things. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Future is like somehow involved, but either, yeah. either way. Um, okay. So we're talking about Scotty Pippen. You take him as a number two over Dwayne Wade. And what they what those guys did as number two players is what I'm saying. More so than uh, their careers. Yes, because Dwayne was not Dwayne. Uh, the 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 first year of Dwayne with LeBron, yes, but the the last three years, no. I mean, Dwayne was a better fit. I mean, excuse me, Pippen was a better fit for Jordan than Dwayne was for LeBron, because Correct. Dwayne and LeBron yeah overlap so much and and needed the ball in their hands all the time. Whereas uh, Scotty and Michael. We're able to play off of each other. I, Michael, I, look, certain players are just perfect compliments for the other, and Scotty was the perfect compliment for 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 Michael. He was longer than Michael. Um, he didn't demand the ball as much as Michael did. Uh, he did all the dirty work stuff. I mean, that's that's not LeBron and and Dwayne. That's a little bit different. Now, so what what year was it when uh, Pippen came to play with Jordan? Eighty seven, I think. Yeah, he so was it was his fourth like year. Fourth year, yeah, because he was the fifth pick overall, but traded from Seattle for Olden Polonies. So like you got to remember, you got to think of uh, Dwayne Wade and LeBron, like Dwayne Wade and LeBron playing in their absolute primes together. Oof, my so God, <laughs> exactly. Like so two thousand, like, like two thousand, eight, oh nine would have been it, right? Oh eight, oh eight, oh nine, because that was about. My God. Yeah, <laughs> it's oh eight oh nine Wade and like twelve thirteen Braun, like right. playing together at the same time. Yeah. Like it's not the same comparison at all. I guess, so, I guess, I guess Rick Carlisle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Jerry LeBron Wade, Jerry Seastig, and Scott Wedman already lost to Rick Carlisle. If you, get, if you get past Rick Carlisle, Bill Walton's there with bad feet waiting for you in the lane. So. Uh, your, your issue out there, just too many white dudes on the floor for them last Well, night. listen, I wasn't going to say it, but uh, the, the game has evolved is all, is all I'll say. Uh, like, you know what I was thinking today? Jay Crowder would have been like one of the biggest, baddest linebackers in the world <laughs> in like the 80s and 90s, right? Yeah, yeah. And now he plays basketball. What about Zion? Oh, my God. Zion too. What would Zion have been in the 80s? <laughs> a freak. He'd be – honestly, he would he, – I think he, he'd probably bigger than Moses Malone. Hold on, hold on. How about, uh, who, who would have been a better football player, even if they played different positions? Russell Westbrook or Zion in their, in their athletic primes? Oh, my God, Russell Westbrook. <laughs> Jeez, Russell Westbrook is how tall? Six two? He's like six three. Could you imagine him as a wide receiver? Well, I was he thinking would, about him as a running back. As, oh as my, running back, back? As, as, as a running back. He, he he's built like a he's built like Lashawn McCoy. He would jump over people at the goal line. He's yeah. too tall. Well, that's the, other thing, that's the other thing with NBA players is sometimes because we see them and we see them up against taller players than them, and we forget how tall they are. So like mm-hmm. NBA guards, like. Yeah, like Steph Curry, six three, right? He looks like a child. Like he, he's he's six foot three. Like you know. He's, By the way, you want to talk about the way that this same game height as DeAndre has, Hopkins. <laughs> you want to talk about the way this game has evolved since Jordan was drafted? You, you saw how in that in that uh, doc they were saying that they couldn't really take Jordan over Hakeem or Bowie because you you couldn't just you just couldn't take a guard 
over a big to, to build yeah, your exactly. car. I thought that was hilarious because it's like it was like blasphemous to pick a, a guard over a big. Like you can't you can't build your team around a guard over like you have to pick Hakeem over him or Bowie over well, him. Well one of one of the things that was funny when you talk about the way the game has changed and evolved, and I and Lebertard used to say this all the time and quote this Bill Russell is the same size as James Jones. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Same height, same weight as James Jones. Yeah. Not James Johnson. James Jones. Skinny J- James Jones. Like, James Jones in the, the, whatever, the 60s would have been the most dominant center in the NBA. Right? So, like, we – so, now – and I, I think, like, Sedano was all over me today talking about we have to take errors into consideration. I'm like, I know what you're trying to say, Sedano, and it makes a lot of sense. But when you're talking about the 80s, there was a paradigm shift. And I think Jordan is the reason for it, where athleticism became so much more important than anything else when it came to the NBA. Like IQ is, all, is, is important. All, the shooting is important. But at the same time, you just you realize you have to have athletes on the floor because guys like Michael Jordan were going to run over your Danny Ainges and Rick Carlisle's. Like you can't have a bench full of guys – who look like they could be house painters. Like, you just can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, the other, but the other way the philosophy has changed, Alf, like what you guys are talking about is in the not building around a big uh, these days, whereas you would have before. But also it was like blasphemy at the time. Like, well, you can't – and I understand because I remember it at the time. You couldn't – Portland couldn't take Jordan because they had Drexler. Like that's that hilarious is, to me because yeah. now you're like you play those two together. You well, would have put like, one in small forward and just and exactly. just well, well, I mean, why couldn't Drexler do what Paul George is doing with Kawhi or vice versa? Like it's just it's. I mean, that's exactly that's the way the game is now. But that was the ultimate example of drafting for need, which is the stupidest philosophy in sports. You don't draft for need. Listen, and, and then they made the same mistake with Greg Oden. They made the same mistake, but it's not just that. It's it's it's. Rem- I remember, and I always give him. Well, let's close here, okay? But the I always give him a hard time because Lebetard's column on the night that Dwayne Wade was drafted was they already have Eddie Jones, and it's like <laughs> it's like it's like no, no, get the guy who's great and then figure it out, right? And so what did they do? They moved Dwayne to the point, okay? And then eventually when Eddie was moved out, they moved him to the two. But, like, the idea that Drexler and Jordan couldn't play together. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? And, and Clyde was was entering his prime there. So, I mean, Clyde was a more – as we've been gushing all over Pippen. Clyde was a more skilled offensive player than, than Scotty um, and, and just as good a rebounder and did – just virtually everything else on the floor as well, except that probably would, it would have been more like Wade LeBron, right? Can we talk about yeah. like, like why did Clyde look like he was fifty in in high school? Like I I don't understand. Why what do happened. all of these players did? <laughs> I don't understand <laughs> what happened. What was, that? What what was, was going, going on? on in the eighties? Like why was everybody? Why did everyone have a cul-de-sac at twenty two? Like what was going on? All right, we're know. gonna add. Tell this. me, Elf. This is like this is going like your streaming episode that went for six and a half hours. We're ending now. Follow Apollo. <laughs> I think it was Lee. a cocaine. Ethan was <laughs> a cocaine. And well, Jordan talked about that. Uh, he no, he was talking about earlier. Yeah, co- oh, also, Jordan, yeah, Jordan walked into a party with cocaine, liquor, and strippers, and it was like, no, not for me, guys. Not for me. I'm yeah. sure he just walked out. Sure. L- later in life, perhaps. Uh, Apollo Law. Apollo, excuse me. ApolloLeaf.com. Get twenty five percent off by using the code uh, Heat. And uh, obviously check out all of our other sponsors, Lessons Via Leaders, podcast, louispeters.com, Seltzer Mayberg, and more.
We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to The Five on the Floor on the Five Regional Sports Network. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.